as we ended our study last week, 2 Corinthians 4, last verse, verse 18, remember what Paul said? He said, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are what? Temporary, whereas the things which are not seen are eternal. And so as we get into chapter five now, Paul's gonna be addressing, looking at some of these things that he has in mind of the unseen things, but that are the eternal things. And these are excited things. And it's meant, as we go through this text, it's meant to really excite us, to encourage us and give us an expectancy of eternity. You know, there are a lot of people that don't like to talk about eternity because there's the, the unknowns, the mysteries to them. There's, for many people, there's a real fear of dying because they don't know what is awaiting them. In the 2000 uh, movie, The Bucket List, it's about two terminally ill men played by Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman. They take a road trip to do the things they always said they would like to do before they kick the bucket. Now, before the film's release, Nicholson was interviewed by Parade Magazine. He said, uh, reflecting on his personal life, Nicholson said, I used to live so freely. The mantra for my generation was, be your own man. I always said, hey, you can have whatever rules you want. I'm gonna have mine. I'll accept the guilt. I'll pay the check. I'll do the time. I chose my own way. That was my philosophical position well into my 50s. As I've gotten older, he said, I've had to adjust. But reality has a way of getting the attention of even Jack Nicholson. Later in the interview, he adds, we all wanna go on forever, don't we? We fear the unknown. Everybody goes to that wall, yet nobody knows what's on the other side. That's why we fear death. Well, today, as we go through chapter five, I trust we're all gonna leave here after this sermon ready to die. <laughs> Maybe that'll happen during the sermon, I don't know. But more so, actually, let's put it this way. I hope that you leave after this sermon excited for what comes after we die. That's the anticipation, the hope that we wanna build on here today. And so we're gonna look at three things as we get into this passage. We're gonna see, first of all, our destination. Our destination, we're gonna see that in verse one. Verse one. And then we're gonna see, secondly, our desire, the desire we should have for these things, verse two to four. And then thirdly, we're gonna see our dependence, our confidence, our dependency, verse five to eight. So that's what we're gonna look at here today in our line. Look at what Paul says here, verse one, once again. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, and it's eternal in the heavens. So Paul is, again, really continuing the same kind of thought and building from what we've seen in chapter four. Paul's laid out some tremendous truths for us in chapter four. Uh, in verse 16, what did Paul say? We do not need to lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart, he said. Of all the things that might be happening to us in this world, we do not need to lose heart. Why? Because what he says in verse 17, that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working out for us a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So we do not need to lose heart with the things that we see around us because we're living for something that is unseen, that has a far more exceeding and eternal weight 
of glory. And so that's why Paul uses this word for. He's building off of what we've looked at in chapter four. It's a continuation of the same thought and theme. It's a transitional word he's using to tie these two things together. And I like what Paul says here. Notice what he says, for we know. I want you to see that there. That's super important because Paul's not speaking about some kind of theory or some idea that you know, seems good, but we're just not sure. This is not some wishful thinking from Paul. There's a confidence, not because he has been told these things, but because he has seen these things. Later on in chapter 12, Paul's gonna speak of a, a man that he says has been taken up into the third heavens. And he's speaking about this man as though it's somebody else. But later as you continue on that chapter, you begin to see very clearly that Paul's speaking about himself. Paul's had a few. I mean, we look at the list of the struggles and the sufferings Paul's been through. I'm sure he's had a few, you know, uh, near-death experiences or, you know, literally moving on. And, and so he says he's not sure whether it was in the body or out of the body. I don't know. But here's what he says, how this person is caught up in a paradise and heard inexpressible words, words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul says that I was taken up into paradise, into, the, into the, the very heavens, the habitation of God. And I heard things that I cannot even begin to explain to you how sweet, beautiful, wonderful it is. He's just talking about the things that he heard, but let alone the things that he must have seen. He didn't even get into that. Paul, you see, is speaking from a, pl a place of not just theory and ideas, but he says, for we know. He's experienced it. He's seen it. So everything that we've been looking at, even from last week, our, our light affliction that he's had to go through, he knows this is working on a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. He's seen it. It's something that Paul can attest to and say confidently. He knows that God is working out all things to where everything we may experience in this life will indeed be worth it all. We do not need to fear death. And Paul and the word of God is here to tell us so today. Now, Paul uses some very interesting pictures or analogies to speak of our current reality, our current physical earthly bodies. What does he call it? He says, we are right now in an earthly house. And that's, I think, quite fitting and perfect because this body is not our true self, right? This earthly body is really just a shell that's containing the real us, that soul and spirit of us. Our body physically is what connects with the, the physical world around us. Our soul is what connects with one another, our personality. Uh, our spirit is what connects with God. So we're made a, a triune being, just as God is, is trinity. We're made in the image of God. But understand, we're a lot more than just our body. And we can tend to put a lot of emphasis and focus on these physical bodies. I know you're all looking at me going, man, you must spend a lot of time on that machine that you have there for a body. Thank you, I appreciate that, guys. That's why I wear long sleeves. I don't wanna distract anybody with the bulging, you know, muscles here, but, but there's a lot of people that can really just be so inundated and focused on the outward man, you know, where that's all that they really are. You can have a, sometimes a better conversation with a brick than you can with some of those guys, you know, uh, 
And not to say if you work out, that's bad. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you're not smart. There's many smart people here that work out, but there's a lot of smarter people that uh, don't. But anyways, I'm not going to get, I'm not, we, we're not here to pick sides or anything, but um, so here's the deal. What Paul is saying is our body is just the earthly house that we abide in while here on this material plane that we call earth, right? And one day, one day, we're gonna move into a new dwelling. Not an earthly house, but a house that's fit for heaven. Look at what, what Jesus says in John 14, verse one and three. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, well, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now that's interesting because this idea of mansions. Now I'm going to bust a few bubbles perhaps here of what you're expecting by eternity. Because we all read this and we all go, all right, man, I can't wait to go to heaven. I'm gonna have my own mansion finally. I'm gonna move out of that house that I've never been content with and happy with. I'm gonna have a mansion, man. That's gonna be great. Jacuzzi tub in the back. My, my mansion's gonna back onto a, a lake or a golf course. We think like this is gonna be glorious, right? That's what we oftentimes think of when we think of heaven. We hear, and we see it right here, mansions. But that, that word mansions right here is... Um, rightly translated or defined as abode, uh, abiding, abide or dwellings. You see, what I believe Jesus is speaking of here is that in heaven there are gonna be many people who are a part of the family of God and will be dwelling and abiding with him and each other for all of eternity. That's gonna be the, the glory of, of heaven is that we're gonna be simply dwelling with Christ. Many people believe that what Jesus means by those mansions is he's speaking of our, our new heavenly reality, our new heavenly body. It's contrasting with that of the earthly house. Now, Paul also mentions some really interesting analogies and comparisons to our, our earthly body when he says, not only is it an earthly house, but he also refers to it as a tent. And that is an absolutely fitting picture as well. Remember when Paul went to Corinth, Acts chapter 18 tells us that he met with uh, Aquila and Priscilla and they were tent makers and Paul joined with them in that trade or that business. He was a tent maker. So tents were very familiar to Paul and it's a perfect picture of this earthly house. Why? Because tents are not meant to be permanent dwellings. Amen? You with me on that, right? Some of you love camping to the nines. Like you are extreme about this. You're like, man, I could live in a tent all my days. I'm like, we need to pray for you. That's just not, that's just weird. That's not cool. But so tents, you see, are a fitting picture because it's not permanent dwellings, right? Now, I mean, I, I gotta say, tenting has certainly come a long way from when I used to go camping as a kid. I mean, our tents were those old canvas tents. Remember those things? And you'd roll them out, you know, and the smell would just be like they came from when Paul was 
making tents back in the day. It's like, I think this is still from that era. And they just would like have a life of their own, but they would get hard, they'd get brittle, they would get uh, musty and gross. They, they weren't very waterproof, right? I mean, I remember sleeping in some of these tents and not enjoying a lake view, but enjoying the view of a lake in my own tent. Like you'd wake up after a rainstorm and you'd be literally floating on your mattress in your tent. Like it just was not made to be this permanent dwelling. That's what I think of when I think of tenting. I know it's come a long way now, but I still have nightmares from what I've experienced here. I'm still traumatized from what my parents put me through. But, but that's why Paul says, I mean, this analogy and picture of a tent is so fitting. It's not a permanent structure for us. There's something greater coming. I mean, I, what I loved about camping was that I knew I would be returning home one day. I'd be getting under a real roof, right? Where rain would not be coming in. There were times, uh, and it seemed like every time I would pack up camping, it seemed like we're always packing up in the rain. You know, it's like just the worst, it's not the worst packing up in the rain. Like uh, you just can't dry anything. It's terrible. There's times I just want to leave it all there for the next person. Just say, I'm leaving all my goods. I'm leaving, I'm going home and someone else can deal with it. I don't want it anymore. But that's the idea here that Paul says, our tents are not a permanent structure. There's something greater coming for us. We're earthen vessels, as he says in chapter four, verse seven. We're frail, we're broken, we leak, but don't lose heart. This tent will one day be laid aside to take up a more glorious dwelling. Now, to be laid aside, look what Paul says, this tent, when it is destroyed. Now, I would have loved Paul to use a much gentler word than destroyed. That makes it sound like our bodies are gonna just get like completely decimated through some kind of tragedy. And we're all like, is that gonna be the fate that I need to have to go into eternity? No, that's not what, what Paul is, not most, most, most of us probably not, maybe 60% of us, I don't know. But uh, some of you might be destroyed, not everybody. But the idea here, what Paul is getting at is not so much a destruction, you know, painfully, but what that, idea that word means check this out from enhanced strong's lexicon breaking down some definitions of this word it says that it can speak of travelers to halt on a journey to to put up lodge it says the figurative expression originating in the circumstance that to put up for the night the straps and packs of the beast of burden are unbound and taken off or more correctly from the fact that the traveler's garments tied up when he's on the journey, are unloosed at its end. And that's the idea that Paul simply means by when this tent is destroyed. It's as though when this tent is, is removed, it's unfolded, it's, you're, you're unfettered from this thing, it's laid down like a tent that's packed up. You're no longer needing it. So when that tent is gone, we're gonna be given a new structure. All Paul is meaning here is that this body is gonna stop living. The body's gonna be laid to rest. It'll be put in the grave, but that's not the end for us. Notice what Paul says, we have a building from God. That's what we're looking forward to. It's not something that we have to wonder, am I going to inherit this? No, we have. It's as though already God has prepared for us what we are one day going to be. This greatly contrast with that of a, a tent. We have a building, notice this, a building from God. A building speaks of something much more permanent and solid, doesn't it? It's a house not made with hands. In other words, this isn't something of, of this current created order. 
This is something that's outside of this world. It's not made with hands. It's gonna have a whole new creation element dynamic to it that is, again, made for eternity. It's not of this current created order. And that's all speaking of our new glorified resurrected bodies. Look at what Paul would write in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42 to 44, saying, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So as believers in the Lord Jesus, we've been promised eternal life in Jesus and with Jesus. These present bodies are our earthly house. They're made for this earth, but one day we're gonna have a house not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. It's been fitted, designed, made for heaven and eternity, made to be in the presence of Jesus. Right now, these earthly bodies cannot go into the presence of Jesus. There's still sin and corruption and mortality. That's why Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians that this immortality or this mortality and corruption must be laid aside and be fitted with immortality and incorruption. And so that comes with our new resurrected body. Now, a common question that's posed when talking about eternity is oftentimes, well, what is heaven gonna be like? We all wonder like, wow, how amazing is heaven gonna be? It's gonna be amazing, well beyond our, our wildest imaginations, I believe. But we also wonder, what are we gonna be like? What are these bodies gonna be like? How are we gonna be interacting in heaven? What, what is that gonna be like? Are we gonna be like, you know, spirits just floating around, right? Are, are we gonna have bodies? Are we gonna be like angels just simply floating on a cloud playing a harp that is oftentimes, you know, cartoonized and everything like that. Like we get these ideas sometimes that are so distorted from reality. Well, this passage is showing us very clearly that we are going to be given a new body and that new body is gonna be made for eternity. And I believe that this new body that we're going to inherit is gonna be fashioned much like Jesus's resurrection body. And for that, we have many glimpses of what that's like through the gospels. Look at what we read about some of these things. First of all, we know from Luke 24, when Jesus was walking with the two on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples after his resurrection, he stopped at them, he's sharing scriptures with them. He began to break bread, perhaps communion with them. And then suddenly it says he vanished. See, Jesus wasn't limited to physical realities, physical dimension. He wasn't limited to that, he had a new body. And then we're told in John chapter 20 that the disciples were all gathered in a, in a room, closed room with the door locked. They were fearful over the Romans coming and, and not, or, or, or you know, uh, tracking them down, being disciples of Christ, looking to uh, you know, arrest them. And so they're fearful and they got the door locked. And all of a sudden we read Jesus appears before them. And I'm sure they're all like huddled together, like sobbing all of a sudden Jesus is there. They're just, you know, hey guys, and freaking out, right? Like, what'd you, how'd you get in here? New body, passing through the doors, the wall. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't need them to open up. He was just there. He's not limited by these realities anymore. We know also that Jesus still had the nail prints in his hands and feet. His new body was very similar to his old body. We know also that he was not just a spirit because he told his disciples to handle him. 
and see that he's not, that he's also flesh and bone, right? Told Thomas to go ahead and, and, and touch the, you know, holes in his side and, and see that it's truly him. So they were able to handle him. And oh, I love this one. Jesus ate. Aren't you excited for that? Like in our new bodies, I don't think we need to eat, but we get to eat. <laughs> Revelation tells us there in Revelation 22 that there's gonna be that, that tree of life restored in the new Jerusalem where it's gonna be bearing its fruit every month. We're gonna have times where I believe, I mean, we've got the marriage supper of the lamb that we get to enjoy in our, in our new bodies. I believe for eternity, we're gonna be enjoying just breaking bread, uh, sharing food. Jesus did that with his disciples in his post-resurrection appearances. And guess what? There's not gonna be any keto diet, no <laughs> counting calories. We're not gonna be worried about these things, man. We're gonna be eating to our hearts content and our bodies aren't gonna mind. We're not gonna get stomach aches. We're not gonna have to go and work out after to burn off. No, there's not gonna be any gyms in heaven. No treadmills, no waste. We don't need them. I can't say that dogmatically, but I really believe that in heaven, we don't, we're just not gonna have that stuff because we're gonna have these perfect bodies. Like I've said before, mine's probably gonna be like seven feet tall, <laughs> long flowing hair. Gonna be great. Can't wait. So, so we get glimpses through the gospels of what Jesus' body is like. And I think it's very uh, fair to say that that's gonna be kind of that, that model of what our resurrected bodies are going to be likened after. So this speaks of our destination. Our destination is heaven, but more so we're looking at that heavenly habitation that we are going to be inheriting as these earthly bodies, this tent, just simply a house, is gonna be laid aside and we inherit something far greater, fit for, designed for eternity. And so we see our destination, but let's look at our desire now. The desire we should have now in light of these things. Look at what Paul says in verse two. Okay, we got a lot to, verse two, we gotta go. For, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. So Paul comes back now to the realities of this present life and these physical bodies. And guess what they cause us to do a lot of? Groan, right? You know what that's like. We groan over the joys of getting older and the daily reminders that these bodies are not getting better. They're breaking down, right? There's decay about them and it causes us to groan. You know, as you start getting older, you start having to contemplate whether or not I can sit down in this chair and if I'm gonna be able to get back out of it again. Am I gonna need assistance? Is somebody here to help me out if I get down in there? You start buying shoes that don't have shoelaces because it's just far too much work. You can spend half a day just getting those things on. And so you start contemplating these things, right? I've been told there's three signs that you know you're entering into old age. First one, you begin to lose your memory. Then the... Uh, um, okay, uh, now what's interesting, what's interesting is statistics show us that at the age of 70, there are now five women for every guy. So it seems like the, you know, women, men maybe die off longer, 
but five women, every guy at the age of 70, which is just really an unfortunate time to have such odds. It's like, what are you gonna do with that? I, listen, I digress. I don't know why I brought that up, but, but here, Paul, Paul is showing that, listen, we're not just groaning over these decaying bodies, we're groaning for our new bodies. We're at, look at what he says there in verse two. We're earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. See, Paul switches up metaphors a little bit here and begins to speak of our, our clothing. We're not just looking to put away or put off the old. We're awaiting now something new that we are going to be fully clothed in. We're looking forward to that new heavenly wardrobe. Our desire should be more for the things of heaven and not of the things of the earth. And again, we like to put so much emphasis and focus on the realities of this world, on the things that are seen. We put so much focus on that. Whereas we're, we're commanded throughout scripture, man, let's not be dwelling on those things. Paul would say in Colossians 3, verse 23, if then you were raised with Christ, and we were in salvation, we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. He says, since basically you were raised to Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, because that's gonna be your reality. Physically, it's your reality now spiritually, but one day you're gonna be with him. So he says in verse two there, set your mind then on things above, not on things on the earth, because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the reality for us right now. We are wrapped up in Christ. And if you're wrapped up in Christ, then you're not so worried about the things of this world. Oh, we are concerned with the things of the world in the sense that we're to be that witness in the world, salt and light in the world, and we wanna be uh, seeing the world come to know Christ, but we're not worried about the things of this world because that's not our, our reality. Our reality is with Christ, where we long to be with him, where our desire is to, again, just set our mind on that which is in heaven, because that's where we're seated right now. We don't need to be overly concerned with investing in this tent. We want the real deal, our, our heavenly habitat. Invest in that. That, that needs to be our, our desire. See, we're groaning because this body is only holding us back from that which is coming our way. Paul says in Romans 8, 23, not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. See, we've been redeemed, understand something. We've been redeemed spiritually. Christ has died on the cross. He's paid the price for uh, the price and the penalty for our sin. He's redeemed us. He's bought us back. We're his. But one day we're going to experience the fullness of redemption, the redemption of our body, it says. Romans 8 says that all of creation is groaning, waiting for its redemption. So there's coming a time when we're going to see the fullness of what Christ has for us when we're with him. But Paul writes there in Romans 8 to be eagerly waiting for those things. Don't get so sidetracked and distracted and, and, and pulled down by the things of the world. They're temporal. That's not our reality. Our, our reality is what Christ has for us in heaven. Since we're in Christ and we have this promise, Paul says we won't be found naked. We're not, we're not gonna be found naked. We're not gonna be unclothed. We're not gonna be in this mysterious place of what's gonna happen. No, we understand we're gonna be clothed. Now, now that could speak also of, the fact that we're clothed in Christ's righteousness as we are. 
which allows us then to enter into heaven. Again, it's, it's these, this sin that keeps us from God. Sin keeps us from God. And this body still of the old creation, the fallen nature that's still marred by sin and this body needs to be put aside so that we can then enter into the glories of heaven and, and into the presence of Jesus. Listen to what Schaff and Ogilvy share in their commentary. They say this, the body was what made contact and communication with others possible. To them, the death of the body deprived them of everything which meant being a person. It was being unclothed or naked. It was his fear that made them want to go directly from this life to the resurrection life without experiencing death. But the promise of God was whether we are alive when he comes or have died, that we shall not be found naked. We don't know whether Paul was saying that at the moment of death, God gives us a new body or that the hope was so very real that they shouldn't worry about the time in between. Some feel that the reference is to the fact that physical death does not make us lose our relationship within the body of Christ. Bible scholars and theologians will continue to discuss those possibilities for years to come, but there's a general agreement on the idea that death, rather than lessening the person or the, or the relationship, actually creates a greater potential for growth and service. So, you know, it talks about this interim period, like what happens when we die presently? Because here's what we do know from Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, from 1 Corinthians 15, we know that we receive our glorified resurrected bodies at the rapture of the church. When Christ comes and he gathers his bride, the church, and he brings them to heaven with them. It, it tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that the dead in Christ will rise first. That's when they're gonna receive their glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 says that we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So we're gonna be given a new body, but that happens at the rapture. What happens then to those that die before the rapture? Are they some disembodied spirit? Uh, we do know, as we're gonna see, Paul says that we're gonna be in the presence of the Lord. We're not in some transitional place. We're gonna be in the presence of the Lord, but what are our bodies gonna like? We, we don't have specific answers for that. We, we don't, I don't know. If somebody knows, you can feel free to tell me. What is that? But we also know that that eternity is outside of that framework of time that we're all accustomed to. That in eternity, there's no time. In other words, could it be that we're already experiencing eternity in heaven right now because it's outside of time? That boggles our mind, doesn't it? That gets into some weird back to the future, trying to figure things out, like what's happening here? If this happens now, what about there? And I don't, it, we're finite, we don't know. But it's possible that we're already enjoying our glorified bodies in eternity. And one day we're gonna experience that in the time realm that we're used to right now. But needless to say, we understand that we're going to be clothed. We're gonna be given a new body. That's what Paul is stating here, confident that we're not gonna be found naked. And Paul emphasizes the same thought in the following verse. Look at verse four. For we who are in this tent, grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. See, living in this world and in this decaying body, it can be a bit of a burden. It's not always fun. We do spend a lot of time groaning, absolutely. But our groaning and burden is not to end this life. We as believers need to be careful that we don't let the struggles and the problems and the stresses of this life get the better of us. 
our solution to the difficulties in life are not to unclothe ourselves from this life, but rather to be looking forward to being further clothed, as Paul says here, to put on our complete wardrobe, these resurrected bodies. That's when we will see that these light afflictions are working out for us a far greater and exceeding weight of eternal glory. And this is what Paul wrote of in in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53, saying, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Isn't that awesome? That's what Paul is saying here, that mortality, verse four, may be swallowed up by life. Or death may be swallowed by victory, same thing. That death is not the end. In fact, death simply leads us on to the fullness of life, eternal, everlasting life in the presence of Jesus. That's what we groan for. Who doesn't want that? So we've seen our destination. We see the desire we're to have. Let's look at our dependence. Our dependence, verse five, Paul says, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. See, God is preparing us for life within. That's his desire for all people, is that they may enter into the glories of eternity, experiencing the presence of God forever. God, God wants that for everybody, which is that none would perish, but all would come to receive everlasting life. And you see, he's shaping us, refining us for that every trial and affliction is causing us to press into him all the more and develop those characteristics of Christ. He's preparing us for something greater. And notice this, he's preparing something great for us. Again, we read in in John 14 already. Let me read it again. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, notice I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He's preparing a place for us, and he's preparing us for that place. He has prepared us for this very thing, Paul says. So how can we be confident? How can we know, like Paul, that this is what's awaiting us? Because notice what Paul writes here. He's also given us the spirit as a guarantee. That word guarantee is the Greek word erabon, and it means earnest or down payment. It's like if you were to make an offer on a house, you would need to come up quickly with a a down payment. You're to come up with that earnest to say, all right, I'm I'm putting my my bid in, I'm putting my offer in, down, down payment, and... It means I'm coming back for the rest. And, and you, you come back and you, you close the deal, you finish the deal. Well, in the same way, God has begun his work in us. And to show that there's more to come, he's given us his spirit that marks us, claims us as his, and he's one day gonna come and complete that work of redemption. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14 talks about how when we first believed and are saved, the Holy Spirit is now in us, sealing us, marking us as now a child of God. We're his. 
and the work that God has begun, he's gonna be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we know and we can have a confidence that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe in him, the spirit is now dwelling in us as a guarantee that God's gonna complete that work of redemption in redeeming our bodies and making us new. We've seen that work of the Spirit happen already in people's lives when they received Christ and they've been so utterly transformed out of darkness and into light from, from death into life. But one day we're gonna see a secondary transformation. Like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, in the twinkling of an eye in a moment, we shall be changed. And we're gonna again be clothed now in immortality and incorruption. And we're gonna be given a body that is fit for eternity. That's what we get to look forward to. That's the guarantee that we have, the guarantee of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say in verse six, so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. See, as long as we're clothed in this body, we cannot be fully with the Lord. Again, it's our sin, that sin nature, our, our bodies that, that cannot go into the presence of a holy God. As long as we're in this body, we cannot be in the presence of the Lord. Or oh, we can enjoy fellowship with the Lord. We can enjoy times of experiencing his presence and his peace in our lives, no doubt about that. But we understand that one day we're gonna stand before him and we're gonna see him as he is. And we're gonna be face to face with the Lord. That's something we don't experience right now. We, we look at a mirror dimly, in a sense, Paul would say. We don't see it all, but one day we're gonna see Christ. First John 3, verse two to three makes that clear. For now, we walk by faith, not by sight. We're not relying on what we see, but on what is unseen. Oh, we, we get to see a lot of things that can, again, distract us and pull us away, but no, we're not walking by what we see. We're walking by faith. We're believing of what God has prepared us for and preparing for us. We believe by faith that there is an eternal abode, dwelling, home, a, a new body awaiting us that is made for eternity by which it allows us to be in the very presence of Jesus. How good that's gonna be. Walk by faith, not by sight. Don't let the problems of the world discourage you or dissuade you or pull you back or, or cause you to begin to doubt. Don't let the things that are seen distract you. Walk by faith and know what the word of God says. That you have the spirit in you as a guarantee of what God is still going to accomplish. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are indeed eternal. Paul once more shows where his great confidence lies. Verse eight, we are confident. Yep, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. For Paul, there were two positions a believer could be in. At home in this earthly body and then absent from the Lord? Or secondly, absent from our earthly body and to be at home with the Lord? There's one or two options. There's no additional alternative. 
There's no in between. There's no soul sleep for the believer, some would like to say. There's no purgatory by which you gotta pray those people out of. No, there's no intermediate option. There's no, uh, there's nothing else. We go straight, as Paul says, to the Lord's presence when this tent is folded down. That's our confidence. And Paul says, oh, we're well pleased to consider that, to know that. We are excited that to be absent for the body means that we are finally present with the Lord. That's our confidence. And heaven, oh man, you could just go on and on forever. Worship team, you better get up here just to stop me. Come on up, worship team. But you know, in heaven, we're, we get such a distorted view sometimes of what heaven is gonna be like. And I wanna remind you guys, heaven is going to be glorious simply because we're gonna be with Jesus. You know, I hear from some people sometimes, they're like, well, if so-and-so is not gonna be in heaven, then neither do I wanna be there. I'm just like, are you kidding me? As tragic as that is, not to have loved ones there, the reality is, is that we should be longing for heaven simply to be with Jesus. Our love for Jesus presently needs to supersede and be greater than any other love we have. Because then you long for heaven because you know the reality is that when you're absent for the body, you're gonna be present with the Lord. Oh, I get so many people are like, oh, I can't wait to go to heaven and, and see this person and see this, you know, great, great grandpa that I've heard so much about and see this loved one and oh, I can't wait. And as much as I believe that heaven is gonna be a great reunion and that we're gonna know one another and, and still know those earthly relationships we've had, I think when we get to heaven, we're just gonna be like, oh man, let's go see Jesus, man. We're just gonna be so fixated on him. We're not gonna be worried about, is my cat Sprinkles here? Did they make it? Are, are, are they here? Where's, yoo-hoo, come on. Like we're not gonna be worried about all these peripheral things. We're gonna be so fixed on being with Jesus. That's what makes heaven, heaven. So it makes eternity so glorious. And we're gonna spend all of eternity just learning and growing and understanding more and more the incredible love and beauty of Jesus. We're never gonna exhaust that. Heaven is gonna be so glorious. There's so much that we can talk about when we come to this subject, but we're gonna end it right there. And the reality is, is that we have a blessed hope for us, my friends. That all these things around us, temporal, this body, temporal, one day, we're gonna be given a new body by which we're gonna be able to be with Jesus forever and ever. Amen.